say release the children. Um, and then the teens are going to care for the children in the nursery and out outdoors as long as the weather stays nice. And we will have an opportunity to uh, talk through some of the business of the church. So Joshua 7 is um, the story of Ai, the defeat of Israel here, the only defeat that they suffer while um, while cleansing the uh, the promised land, while trying to uh, receive the inheritance, uh, whatever we want to say, while taking the promised land and the blessings that God has given them. I think it's a very good time to lose a battle. And uh, it parallels our own lives quite well. The message that the Lord gave to Israel before the defeat of Jericho, before they defeated Jericho, the Lord defeated Jericho, was crystal clear, and it was communicated very well to the people. They were not to take any of the accursed things. They were not to enjoy any of the spoils of battle from Jericho. They were to destroy all the false religions. They were to give everything of value to the Lord. Numbers 26, uh, somebody asked me about the size of the army. I went and looked it up. Numbers 26 gives us a total of 601,730 soldiers that entered the promised land to take the promised land from the Canaanites. And so they are prepared for the conquest of the promised land and they take over Jericho. We kind of learned something, I think, very important with AI that is implied but is never really stated. And that is that, that the army of Israel does not have to fight in completion at every battle, right? Not all 601, 730 soldiers need to show up to every battle. And uh, AI is a good description of that where uh, just 3,000 go to battle the first time, 30,000 the next time. And uh, so we get some, some information that's implied for us that helps us, I believe, understand what's going on. But now Israel proceeds, I think I've got a map for this, uh, Israel proceeds from uh, the plains of Moab, they go over, they're at uh, Gilgal, where they camp, fight, and take Jericho, they move up what's known as the way of wilderness, this is the middle of three passageways, uh, valleys that move from the Great Rift Valley, where the Jordan River is, up to the heights of Jerusalem. They go up that middle route, and they camp at uh, Etel, uh, which is near Ai. We don't know where Ai is. They wiped Ai off the map, <laughs> literally. All right, so we don't know where it is, but it's got to be close by to where they camp and close to where the ambush will eventually happen. And so the, the, they have moved within the nation of the promised land, the future promised land, and it's there that they camp, and they'll, they'll do different battles, moving from that camp to take the whole region or area. What's really important, this is kind of big, uh, more macro things going on as they take the promised land. It takes seven years, roughly, uh, and, and they're going to go right through the center of Israel, then up the north, and then come back down to the south. They literally split the land in half, and then uh, take years to, uh, to remove the inhabitants of the land. And so they're kind of camped here 
at Etel and uh, waiting for the time in which they can defeat Ai. And so uh, let's read the account of the defeat of Ai. I want you to start in verse 2 with me. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai were few. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Sarabim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders... And they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? This is a very sad event. As far as I know, I tried to rack my brain. I didn't spend a lot of time, so if you think of something, I would love to learn from you. But I think this is the only reported death during the campaign to take the promised land. Couldn't find any more. Racked my brain. Didn't take that long, so... You know, I may have missed it. If I missed it, come tell me. But uh, they, they are defeated here by Ai. They, they send a reconnaissance team out. There's nothing wrong with this. I don't think this is, uh, this is, again, just like Joshua, where he sent two spies in to search out the land, to, just to figure out the, how things are, learn some information. He does the same here. This should be an easy battle. Their assessment's correct, right? We don't need to send all 601,000 uh, however many I said, 300 or 730 soldiers. We don't need to send them all. Let's just send about 3,000. This shouldn't be a problem. And uh, 36 men die instead. They're, they're overconfident. Now, I think there's a lot uh, of reasons or a lot of um, uh, logistical things that are just happening here, right? Uh, we know why they lost. They lose because of the sin of Achan. And yet at the same time, there's other things happening. They are overconfident in this battle. There's no doubt about that because the second time they go to battle, they go to battle with 30,000 people. Joshua seems to fail here. And, and, and so I think there's good peripheral things for us to learn besides just the sin of Achan. The people quickly lose heart. And um, we too can follow this same pattern, I think, in life. I don't know what's going on. I'm not going to touch that. I didn't touch anything. I know. But I'll just stand behind this. 
I think there's a good lesson here in that you and I do the same. We come off a victory like Jericho, where God does a great work spiritually, and we are encouraged, and our trust is in the Lord, and we think, yeah, I got this. And we run on to Ai, ready to fight our own battle this time. I think there is a clear message here. They did it in their own strength. Now, we can argue that they were naive in going to Ai. They didn't know that Achan had sinned. But, but there's this, this obvious sin in the people of Israel as a nation simply because Achan felt like he could steal from the Lord. And we're going to get to his sin. And the people didn't inquire what to do necessarily. Uh, there's a little bit of silence here, and yet they're confident, and I think they're overconfident. And we do the same when coming off of a spiritual victory. We become, uh, we become elated with the victory, which is good, but we trust ourselves. And I, I imagine you might be able to even think of times in your life where you've done the same. We become overconfident in ourselves rather than confident in what the Lord can do. Well, verse 6 through 9 to me is, is very sad. Because Joshua responds here, and I don't think he responds correctly. He tears his clothes in verse 6. He falls to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. Him and the elders, they put dust on their heads. So they're, they're definitely, at least symbolically, I think genuinely, coming before the Lord. And, and they're, they're entreating the Lord. There's great regret in their heart. For this loss. There's remorse over what is done. We could even go so far as to say these are the acts of repentance. Uh, this is an outward display of wanting to be right with God by tearing their clothes and putting ashes, on, uh, sackcloth on, and, and these types of things. They are, they are genuinely repentant before the Lord, but the question is do they even know what they're repenting of? In fact, if you read, I know it's again from silence, but you read, and there's no indication that Joshua ever asked the Lord, why? Why, Lord, did we lose? He presumes, in fact, uh, which is a sin, he presumes that God is no longer happy and does not want to give them the promised land. In fact, look at the words that Joshua speaks and then the reaction of God. He says in verse 7, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Does this not sound like Israel back when they were wandering the promised land? And they said it would have been better if you had left us in Egypt. Here he's saying it would have been better if we just stayed on the west side of the sea uh, of the Jordan River. We could have just had those, you know, the, um, the two and a half tribes, Ephraim, Manasseh, and now I can't remember the other one. Nope, Benjamin's on the north side, or on the uh, north of Jerusalem. We'll figure it out later, and then you can tell me again. Uh, but uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, half the tribe of Manasseh is Ephraim and no, Dan's in the north. See, I know where everyone else is, I just don't know who's missing. Anyways, uh, there they are on the west side, and they said, we could have had that land. We could have stayed there. That was good enough, God. We didn't need more, but you brought us over here. He sounds just like Israel as they wandered in the desert. And, and poor Joshua, Joshua has definitely been faithful and a commander. Reuben, 
<laughs> Sometimes it's just a all right. So, so he's, he's discontent. He appears to be discontent here. He's doubting the Lord. And, and frankly, his, uh, his spirit seems crushed. In fact, I'll go so far as to say I think he believes a lie about God. He cries out to the Lord. He does that in verse 7. Alas, O Lord God, he cries out to him. But then he accuses God of not leading him properly. He wants God's clear and easy direction, which he had at Jericho, right? He didn't know it until just before uh, the, the, the commander of the Lord came to him. But the commander of the Lord says, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, and you'll win. And that's what he wants now. He just wants, God, tell us, here, tell me the plan, and I'll go do it. And we want that, too. All the time in our life, we want, God, I just want you to tell me, do I step with the left foot or the right foot? Be specific, Lord. Tell me what to do. And sometimes that's not faith. Faith means we move, not knowing full well where we're going, but we move because God has asked us to. And, and so he, he wants God's clear and easy direction, and he doesn't really ask for careful deliberation about why this has occurred. I don't think it's a sin to ask God. I think, in fact, uh, I know I'm Monday morning quarterbacking Joshua here, but I think Joshua should have gone to the Lord and said, why? Why did this happen? God wants him to know. God's not trying to hide the truth from him. He wants him to know the truth. He's going to tell him. He didn't ask God why they lost. He jumped to the wrong conclusion that God had failed them. Rather than asking if they had failed God. And I'm not saying the defeat is Joshua's fault. It's not Joshua's fault. And he definitely feels deep pain over their defeat. And he becomes discouraged. Now I'll say his, his claim is good. He wants the name of the Lord to be clear. And so he wants God to be praised. I'll say this. I, I, Joshua rarely doubts the Lord. But here, he does seem to falter quickly. And as good and as faithful as Joshua is, I mean, if there's one word you were going to describe Joshua with, it would be probably the word faithful. And yet he's not infallible. And he falters here. And he falters quickly. Because even the strong sometimes stumble. Realistically, though, this is a small defeat, 36 men, and yet it strikes a very strong blow. He's discouraged, and he sounds, as I said, like Israel. Notice the Lord rebukes him quickly. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have, take, they have even taken some of the accursed things, and, it, that, and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. God is displeased here and rebukes, Yes, you could say, Joshua, I think, you, I think the rebuke of Joshua is short. Get up. 
right? Lead the people. Sanctify the people. He's, God is not angry with, um, with Joseph. He wants Joseph to move in leading the people to right. And so he tells him to sanctify the people. There's sin in the camp. And so Joshua should not have faltered. He should have searched this out. The people are not holy. That's what he's saying. Now, now we know the truth, right? We know the rest of the story. We read the rest of it. We can actually read before this. We can read after. We, we know that Achan sinned, right? So he, he's, he's grouping all of Israel in here. And I think what he's doing, I, I think the reason that God has made the statement Israel is not holy is because there's sin in, in the camp, right? That's the phrase that comes from here sin in the camp. And they're all culpable. And they had better get it right and purify themselves if they want victory. And so he's, uh, there's no other way to say it, he's making an example of Achan. That's why I say I think this defeat at Ai is important. As far as we know, it's the only second recorded battle. In, in seven years of battle, six and a half, seven years of battle, it's a long time of battles. Many battles, never even recorded. No cities recorded. This one is, though, and it's to set the precedent that as Israel pursues the, the, the taking of the promised land, they had better be holy. And so he's going to make a very strong example of Achan. Sin must be dealt with severely. And I think that's true of our lives. Right? Jesus tells us a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little sin that we think nobody sees and doesn't matter can very quickly infect our being. A little sin here that could, just gets <laughs> swept under the rug. And hides it under the rug. Uh, just, just put under the rug here could certainly fester and grow and spread throughout all of Israel. And so the battle is doomed. The statement is clear here. Christ, or God says this, that, that they're doomed. Verse 12, he, use, he uses that term. They're doomed to destruction. In fact, he says, neither will I be with you anymore unless you handle this, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. And so the Israelites could not stand blameless before God. They couldn't stand in victory uh, at Ai. God was not with Israel at this point. That doesn't mean he's forsaken them. He's not going to bless them when they are, I'll use the term committing, although they don't know that, but committing sin. And so the accursed must be destroyed. Joshua must purge Israel of the accursed thing. So he says in verse 12 and verse 13 to, to cleanse themselves. In fact, verse 13 begins. Let's read this. This is a great verse. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there's an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. This is a great verse. Joshua must purge Israel. They must sanctify themselves. They must be holy. And in order to be holy, they must not steal from God. They need to eradicate the impure things that are in the camp, that are in Israel. And so the commands are clear. Israel... Joshua at Jericho said it multiple times before they ever even went into Jericho. Do not take the accursed things. Do not take the gold. Do not take the silver. Do not take the valuables. They are the, they're the Lord. They're for the Lord. They're the first fruits. 
They were to remain holy in their commitment to God's command. They were not to falter, not to succumb to temptation, not to trust themselves, and especially not to justify themselves in stealing from God. These are all things that we can easily deceive ourselves about. We can become overconfident in ourselves, believing that we are stronger spiritually than we We can easily gain a victory and become spiritually arrogant. We can take credit for the things of the Lord and steal from the Lord, believing ourselves to be worthy of receiving praise. So what a powerful line verse 13 is, where he says, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. This would be a great verse for us to apply in our own lives. God is not going to bless when we allow a cursed thing in our lives. He wants our holiness. Let me rephrase that. He deserves our holiness. And so he commands Joshua, twice, get up. I'll put it in layman's terms. Get up and handle this. That's what he says. Get up. Sanctify the people. Because God hates false obedience. And so we get kind of a snapshot now of the false obedience. Verse 1, I skipped, says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass, regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. And then in verse 14. Can't find it. There we go. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come by household. And the household which the Lord takes shall come by man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken he brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zerahites. And he brought the family of Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him. And tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. I mean, there's no reason to hide it at this point, right? Since God identified the man out of million, million plus people, right down to the right guy. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the tent, in the midst of my, in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, 
hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and brought them to the valley of Achar. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. God hates false obedience, and Achan and his failure is evidence of that. He hates false worship. Achan coveted. What a great picture of exactly the same thing. Nothing has changed, right? There's no temptation that has taken you that is common to man. Every temptation that you suffer with are the same temptations they suffered with, right? Achan saw it and he coveted it, but then he acted upon his covenant, coveted, coveting heart and stole it, took it, hid it, thinking he could hide it from God. At some point, he deceived himself into believing that he deserved it. At some point, he cared more for the plunder of this material than the purity of his own heart before God. And it's so subtle. And probably none of us can stand here and condemn Achan for his sin because we all are tempted like him. And we all deceive ourselves at times, thinking, I deserve it. Or, it's not that big of a deal. And we downplay the purity of our own heart before God. He kept what God had said was His. Literally stole what God said was His. And He warned the people. Now here's why I think this is especially egregious. Is we read this story and we think, man, they, they stoned him with stones and they burned him with fire, but not just him. They took his, the, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkey, the poor donkey didn't do anything, his sheep, and even his tent, and burned them all. Why? Absolutely, God is making an example of Achan. And let me tell you, Achan could have repented. You want to know how I know that? Read the story carefully. God says to Joshua, get up and sanctify the people and tomorrow present yourself. Achan had a whole night that he could have come forward. And instead they went through this charade where the tribe of Benjamin came forward and then all those renamed people, I don't remember all their names, Right? All the descendants, family, the sons, the grandchildren, they all stepped forward through this whole charade. At what point was Achan getting a little bit nervous? I mean, let's be honest. This is what we do. We do the same thing in our life. We're guilty of sin. And you know what? We have to step forward and we think, well, there's still a whole tribe here. Maybe they won't pick me. And then his whole clan steps forward. Well, it's the clan. At what point did he think, yep, they've got me? He had the whole night to come forward. That kind of struck me as I studied that this week. Whole night to get things right. And then his pride, I mean, his 
servant who wouldn't come forward. Wait, that's the command that was way back in verse 12 and verse 13. Get up, sanctify the people. Say to them, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Tomorrow they will stand before the Lord. And so Achan is destroyed. Listen, I think the reason his family is destroyed is because I think, how can you, I'm going to make an assumption that they probably knew as well. And all his belongings, they're all filthy now. They're corrupted by the selfishness of this man. And so we have the death of Achan and the destruction of his entire existence. So clearly identified as a sin. And so Achan and all of his heritage are stoned to death, burned, and made a memorial. You got me thinking, it says, and it's there today. I don't know. I never saw it. I didn't go see it. There's piles of rocks everywhere. I don't know which pile of rocks he would be under. Israel was just a pile of rocks in many parts. But as Joshua is writing this at the end of his life, everyone seems to remember the man where that memorial is. It's in the Valley of Achan. And so it's destroyed. Achan destroyed in Joshua 22, verse 20, Joshua reminds the tribes to remain faithful, not to participate in disobedience to God, thinking we can hide our sin and remain victorious. And you know what? We need the same reminder, especially as we embark on steps of faith. And we have direction from the Lord and we know what to do or we want to move forward in faithfulness to, Lord, to the Lord, we need to ask ourselves whether we're holy because God requires holiness and we must be sanctified to please Him and to continue to receive His blessings. God will not reward selfish worship or the hiding of sin or the entertainment of doubt. And so after the purification, we're not going to go into it, but in chapter 8 you can read of the victory at Ai, because after the purification of Israel, Ai is taken, and taken quite easily. In fact, God gives them the plan again. And 30,000 go out, and 5,000 head in to fight, and Ai is confident in themselves. The very same sin that Josh, that the people of Israel had, overconfidence, Ai now has, and they, they see the men retreating, and so they chase them right into an ambush, and Israel destroys Ai, wiping it off the map. You know, when we maintain purity of heart in obedience, we can move forward with confidence in God. And so let us not trust ourselves, but trust the Lord. The Lord is the one who leads in righteousness. And every one of us must carefully ask, how is my purity before the Lord? Right? How am I exalting the Lord? Or we could ask it in the negative, how am I stealing glory from God? How am I stealing worship from God for myself? You know, really, could we agree with the words of Micah 6.8? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's what he asks of us. And so AI becomes a picture of what not to do. To trust oneself, to hide one's sin, 
the things that are so insignificant, and God already has so much. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. The gold doesn't matter. The Babylonian garment that he stole doesn't matter. His heart matters. And his heart wasn't right before the Lord. We hear that. We must maintain a purity of heart when we serve the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for making this account in Ai that is rich with application for each one of us. We realize this battle occurred thousands of years ago in a faraway land, and yet nothing has changed. The world is still in sin. The same temptations that were uh, drawing at Achan are drawing at us. The world is still in conflict. And you, Lord, still care far more about our hearts than you do about all the material things that we have. And so, Lord, I pray that we would continue to look inward and make sure that our hearts are sanctified before you. Lord, help us to be holy. Give us a wonderful view of your holiness. Step back in awe and say, Lord, we know how to behave before you. So cleanse our hearts. The next time we're tempted, help us to use your gifts to flee that temptation. Pray.